Everything that exists has its purpose to bring God glory. For the church, the purpose has always been the same. It's employing the word of God in the making of disciples for the glory of God. While we seek to live out this purpose, we affirm the identity of four organic evidences into a simple statement. By the grace of God, we desire to glorify Him by magnifying His Word to develop disciples who think biblically, live missionally, give generously, and love sacrificially. We continue in our sermon series on our church's purpose statement, and we're week four out of five weeks. And hopefully you've had a chance to, to be a part of the previous three. And if not, I would encourage you maybe to go back and uh, watch those or listen to those via podcast and make sure that you're kind of up to speed because I really believe that what we're doing uh, in, in communicating through this vehicle of sermons about our church purpose statement is laying a lot of important foundation, important groundwork for what's coming. Because a church purpose statement helps us to see the why behind what we do or what we don't do. And that's valuable, right? It gives us some focus, some clarity to be able to see um, where God is calling us to serve, to minister, and to be led by him. So again, I encourage you to go back and listen. We have had a chance now over the last two weeks to look at four, two of the four measures. We looked at think biblically two weeks ago and this past week live missionally. And today we'll look at give generously. Uh, I am, I'm super excited about this study today. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead. Wait, before we do that, I wanted to do one, one other thing before we get into the text. Uh, grab your outline. And uh, if you don't have an outline, you can look on the screens. But I thought it would be good for us to read aloud together our church's new purpose statement. So hopefully you've got that in front of you. If not, you can see it on the screen there. Let's read together. By God's grace, we desire to glorify God by magnifying his word to develop disciples who think biblically, live missionally, give generously, and love sacrificially. And like I said a moment ago, we'll be looking at the give generous aspect today. We're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 for our primary text. But before we get to that, we need to do a little contextual work. We need to back up and see exactly what's going on in the, really even the chapter before in chapter 8. And so I wanted to set the stage for that. We're going to actually read some from chapter 8 as well as I'll kind of walk you through what all's happening here. But here's the, here's the scenario. The Apostle Paul had a burden to bring a relief offering to the believers in Jerusalem. They had been persecuted. They had been beat up. They had lost their jobs. They were struggling there in Jerusalem. And so Paul's desire was to take up an offering and have that delivered to those believers there in Jerusalem. And so he began to get the word out to the different churches that he was associated with, many of them that he had started. And he was asking them to commit, to kind of buy into this offering. And the church at Corinth was one of those churches that he approached about giving. And they said, yeah, you can count us in, Paul. We would love to be a part of this offering. Well, now that time has passed and it's getting closer to the time of taking up that collection, Paul in this second letter to the Corinthians, along with a lot of other things he's dealing with, he reminds them of their initial pledge, their initial commitment to give. And he also works on some of the logistics on how they're going to get that. He's sending people to help, but he doesn't want to be embarrassed, nor does he want them to be embarrassed if they all get there for the collection. Like, 
uh, sorry, we never took up anything. Uh, we don't have anything. And so he's dealing with that. But in that process, he uses an illustration about another group of churches that wanted to participate in this. In fact, it's the churches in Macedonia, most likely Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea were probably the churches he's referring to here when we look at this passage, the churches in Macedonia. And the interesting thing is, we'll see as we read this in just a moment is, Paul did not approach them about giving to this offering. And I'm wondering, well, why would he not approach them? He probably didn't approach them because they needed an offering just as bad as the, the saints in Jerusalem. So he said, I'm not going to even ask them. But as we read in chapter 8 in just a moment, you're going to see their response when they get wind that Paul is taking up a collection. And so let's read, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Remember, he's writing to the church at Corinth, but he's wanting them to know about this, uh, this situation with the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, so I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When's the last time you heard about a group of people begging to be a part of an offering, right? They, 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 they sought out Paul and said, hey, we want to give, verse 5, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, I have to be honest, every time I read that short passage, I'm challenged. No, I'm more than challenged. I'm convicted. I'm brought to my knees when I realize what's going on here is Paul is intentionally using this group of believers in the Macedonian churches as an illustration or as an example for the church at Corinth to say, hey, guys at Corinth, you don't have any excuse for not being faithful in the promise you made about this offering for the believers in Jerusalem. Let me give you an example of another group that I didn't even want to ask because they're hurting so bad themselves, but yet they begged me, they pleaded, they wanted to be a part of that. And look back at that. Look at verse two, because this just, here's where the challenge and the conviction comes in my own heart. Because Paul describes what's going on there in the church. He says, in a severe test of affliction, and then he says, their abundance of joy. So in the midst of being persecuted themselves, they had this abundance of joy. And he goes on and he talks about their extreme poverty. So not only were they being persecuted and afflicted, they were dirt poor. They had nothing. And it's in that context of this, of this being picked on and being poor that we see this generosity, this abundance of joy. And he goes on and he says at the end of verse two, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now, when's the last time that you would put those two together, that you would put extreme poverty with extreme generosity? They seem to be opposite. They shouldn't go together. But here in these churches in Macedonia, Paul has seen their abundant joy and their extreme generosity, their wealth of generosity in the midst of being persecuted and dealing with all the pain that they were dealing with. I hope that you're challenged as much as I am. And as we continue to go through this study this morning, I think the challenges will continue. Paul never holds back, does he? And so this morning we look at our third measure. It's that measure of giving generously. And normally when you hear the word give in a sermon, it means, uh-oh, <laughs> the preacher's coming for my wallet. They're going to talk about giving our tithes and our offerings. And yes, that's part 
part of this giving, but we're going to look at it from the context that I think the same as Paul. Paul's dealing with a specific issue on, on an offering, but I really believe it's much broader, and we'll see that in, in, in the verses we're going to look at. But for the context of our church purpose statement, when we say give generously, we're talking a whole lot more than just giving of your money. In fact, the icon we use, it's on the back of your outline. It not only has the hand with the, the coin, but also the clock emphasizing the time. And so we're talking about giving of our, of our, of our time and of our talent, of our, of our resources, all of those things. And so I thought it would be good to have a definition for giving that we can use with this church purpose statement. And so on your outline, you see this, it'll go up on the screens, the definition, this working definition that my giving is expressed when I release my life for the benefit of someone else. My giving is expressed when I release my life, my time, my talents, my gifting, my abilities, my resources, when I release those things for the benefit of someone else other than just myself. Because so often we have these things in our lives and we like to use them for our own benefit, right? But Paul, Paul I believe, is challenging us to give generously, to release our lives to all of these different things. Let's read our passage now. Just over one chapter, chapter nine. Hopefully you have your Bible or your device where you can follow along. And we're just looking at three verses. We're going to have three verses and three points and three applications that go along with that. And so we begin in verse six of chapter nine. And Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Point number one, the point, live generously. And I love it when Paul is like super, super clear because he has been up until this point, he's given him an example of the Macedonian churches. He's talking about the logistics. He's talking about sending Titus and the brothers to help with the collection of this offering. And then he gets to this point in this, in his, uh, in his letter. And he says, the point is this, let me be real clear. And I love clarity, right? The point is this. And then he gives this agrarian illustration or example. And in Paul's day, there would have been no question what he meant. You didn't have to be a farmer to understand this. And really, still today, I think most of us kind of go, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not a farmer. It's been a long time since I've sowed any seeds, but I kind of understand exactly what he's saying here when he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, the point of Paul's analogy is the more seeds you sow, the greater your harvest will be. If you sow two seeds, you're probably going to have a two-seed harvest. If you sow 200 seeds, you're going to have a 200-seed harvest. 2,000 seeds, you have a 2,000-seed harvest. And I know there's other variables like sunshine and rain and things like that and weather. But generally speaking, what you sow is what you're going to reap. So how does Paul use this analogy with taking up this offering, this collection? Well, I think it's pretty simple that abundant giving will result in an abundant harvest. And his desire is to have an abundant harvest to bless those people that needed that offering, those believers there in Jerusalem. However, there always needs to be a warning when we start talking about sowing and reaping. We have to be very careful in interpreting, interpreting this verse and identifying what kind of harvest Paul 
is talking about. And how do we do that? Well, typically we, we get a sense just by reading the passage in its entirety. And we're going to read a little bit further and it's going to become much more clear what kind of harvest Paul is talking about as we read on. I'll go ahead and, and let you know that, that what Paul is talking about is not this new shrewd investment strategy where if you give money here, you'll have more money in your bank account. If you serve over here, you'll be healthy the rest of your life. No, he's not talking about anything like that at all. In fact, he's being very clear that the reward that God brings to the generous sower, that abundant harvest is not intended for the sower, but it's intended for the sower to use to continue to plant more seeds and for God to use them to be generous. Therefore, the idea that we are called as believers in Jesus Christ to be constantly growing in our generosity. That's why we have these measures so we can measure how am I doing? Am I, am I more generous today than I was a year ago? Am I becoming more and more generous? And, and, and there is a danger because we all have a tendency to hold on and store up. Jesus spoke to this danger in his parable in Luke chapter 12. If you want to write that down and go back and read it later. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through uh, 21. And the danger of just a storing up abundance for yourself versus saying, no, God has blessed me. And I have the opportunity now to take that blessing and be generous with that blessing. The application here is my generosity, my giving should be abundant and sacrificial. Now, that idea of abundance kind of, it's very subjective, but as soon as we throw the word sacrificial in there, whoo, what are you talking about here? What kind of sacrifice? Well, let's go back to the, church at, the churches at Macedonia as Paul was using them as an example. And remember it said that they gave according to their means. And then it says, and they gave above, beyond their means. That means they gave what they didn't even have. When's the last time you were so generous that you knew it might cost you being able to make your, 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 pay your bills next month? It might cost you being able to eat for a while. It might cost you something severe. And here we have these, these folks, these believers there in those churches in Macedonia, willing to give above the, even their means. Like, wow. Again, the challenge that we see of extreme poverty and severe affliction, yet this abundant joy and, and, and wealth of generosity, that's sacrificial giving. Willing to give even when it costs. And so I, let's just ask some real practical questions about our our, our, our generosity. How is your sowing as it relates to your spiritual gifts? How are you doing at sowing your God-given abilities? How are you doing at sowing your time? How are you doing at sowing your resources? You see, are we more like the farmer that sows abundantly or sows sparingly, holding on? Great reminder, anytime we're talking about our generosity is to be reminded over and over and over and over is all the things that I'm holding on to, including my very life, are not my own. They're not mine, are they? I am but a steward of what God has given me. And so when I'm holding on tightly to my seeds, it's like they're not mine anyway to hold on to. And so as soon as I recognize that, I can begin to let go and I have a chance of being abundant and sacrificial in my sowing. But as long as I think it's mine, mm -mm, don't be messing with my time. I got big plans this afternoon. I want to, you know, have a great lunch and, and uh, watch some football and hopefully fall asleep to a football game and then wake up and watch some more football. So don't be calling me and asking me to help you out doing something. 
Now, we would never say that out loud, but we have those thoughts, don't we? That my time is my time. And maybe it's not your time, but maybe it's your resources. And, you know, I don't want to give up some of these resources. Maybe it's your talent. God has blessed you with, a, with an amazing talent. And you're holding back and using that for his glory. And you're not sowing it at all. You're just hanging on to it. It's not yours to hold on to. We need to be generous in our sowing. And on a real practical note, where are you currently serving in the body of Christ right now? If you're here this morning and you're a member at McGregor Baptist Church, I would ask, where are you serving? Where are you serving? Because I really believe that God has placed each and every member here for a purpose, for a reason. He's uniquely shaped each and every one of us for his purpose and for his plan for this body of Christ. And when we're not utilizing our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ where God has placed us, then the body's not going to be functioning at 100%. What would happen if everybody that's a member here at McGregor, every single person that's a member, recognized their spiritual gifting and was engaged in using that spiritual gift in the body of Christ here at McGregor? What would happen? I think we would turn Lee County upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we would see more things happening for the glory of God than we've ever, ever could imagine. And all it would take was every single person saying, I want to know what my gifting is and I want to get involved in that area. If you're there and you go, well, I don't have a clue what my spiritual gift is. I'm not even sure I even know what a spiritual gift is. Join me this week on Beyond the Notes. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about spiritual gifting and how we can utilize that in the body of Christ. Roman numeral two, the principle. We saw the point of living generously. Now we see this principle of give cheerfully. Verse seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, two things, intentional giving and cheerful giving. He makes it real clear that we are to give as we have decided in our heart, or some translations are purposed in our heart. And that word that Paul used, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it has the meaning of predetermination there, that we have predetermined what we're going to do, that we have fought through this idea of giving, whether it's financially or with my time or with my talents. We have planned ahead. A simple example would be, I want to I bless somebody today financially or this week financially. And I'm just going to be on the lookout for God to show me somebody that needs some financial blessing. But all of a sudden I get to that point and I want to bless them and I go to pull my wallet out and I don't have any money in it. I didn't plan ahead, did I? I wanted to. I kind of planned ahead, but I didn't fully plan ahead. And the same with our time. If I'm going to serve the body of Christ, it's going to, I'm going to have to set aside time. Many of you that already serve know that you have to schedule out the time to serve as a leader, as a, as a, as, as a, whether it's singing in the choir or being in the orchestra or teaching or being a part of the clothes closet or the food pantry, and the list goes on and on of multiple ministries here at McGregor, you've got to, you've got to plan ahead your time. And so there's this intentionality. It doesn't mean we're not spon spontaneous in our giving, but there does need to be this, this planned, systematic thought about how we're going to give. So he gives us a how-to, but then he gives us two how-not-tos and the first one is don't give reluctantly. That word reluctant means to be grieved or to grudge or to be saddened. And I thought when as I was you know, reading and studying this, I thought, how often, I mean, I just felt guilty. How often have I done something reluctantly for the Lord? I mean, maybe think about, you know, you're, you're getting ready to, 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 to write your offering check or something. And those of you that still write checks, 
It just sounds like a good way to say that, to write your check. And you're going, because you're having to take time, it's not quite as easy as just doing it electronically or having it automatically taken out. So you're writing that check, and the whole time you're thinking of how you could spend that money. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is killing me. This is killing me. Maybe that's why automatic drafts is, a, is an easier way to do it. But we do give, we do serve, oftentimes reluctantly, right? I could be spending time doing something else instead of serving. And, 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 and Paul's like, don't, don't do it reluctantly. You need to plan ahead, but don't do it reluctantly. Or don't do it under compulsion either. You know, don't let someone coerce you into giving. That's just as bad if someone comes along and says, uh, God told me you need to be serving in this uh, ministry. And you're like, no, I don't, I've never heard that. Paul's like, don't do it under coercion. In fact, Paul, while he sounds pretty strong in his argument here, he's not coercing, he's not manipulating anybody to do anything that God is not calling them to do. And so that's that aspect of intentional giving, which I believe intentional giving will lead to cheerful giving. And look at the last part of that verse. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. What an amazing promise. We know that God loves his children in a very special way, but here we get this promise that just imagine the love that he has for those who have a, that are generous and cheerful givers. We should be joyful in our giving. We talk about that a lot, but let's be honest. That's not always the easiest thing to do, is it? To be joyful in our giving. But when you get to that point, when you realize it's not my stuff, it's God's stuff, and I'm just, God's just allowing me to use that to be a blessing to someone else, there can be a, an element of joy, of happiness, of hilarity, of, of giddiness and being able to be used by God for his glory in that way. And I believe that's what Paul's pointing to here. The application, my generosity should be joyful and not reluctant. My, joy, my generosity should be joyful and not reluctant. What's causing you to be reluctant in your giving right now. Just thinking practically, what, what's something that's causing you to be reluctant? I'll share an example from my, my, uh, my own life. I tend to be very pragmatic when it comes, especially to things relating to finances. I want to do the, pragma, the practical thing, right? It's practical to do this. We need to, we need to, we need to save. And I really believe there are, there are two types of people that's, uh, that kind of naturally bend one way or the other. You're, there's the givers and the savers. And God put me and my wife together and we're each opposite ends of this. <laughs> I mean, I knew we were opposite before we uh, got married, but after we got married and really started going through some of this, I, it really became more evident because she is such a giver and I'm much more of a saver. I'm, I, I, you know, if a $100 bill falls in front of her, she'll pick it up and look for a way that she, hey, I got a blessing from God. I can spend this on someone else. Where if I get a $100 bill in front of me, I pick it up and go, hey, this is going in the bank really fast. I'm a saver. That's practical, right? We put it away for a rainy day. We're saving. She's over there just spending money left and right. That's crazy. We're gonna, she's going to put us in the, in the poor house. But God, through that generosity and seeing her and her desire to bless others with her blessings, has moved me from way over here being cheap and stingy to realizing how important it is. That's the real word when we say we're savers, right? We're just cheap and stingy. Moving me over here to being much more generous. And I still have a long way to go. But God is, is really shaping me and moving me toward a generous spirit where now if the $100 bill comes, at least half of it's going to help somebody, right? I'm, I'm making progress there. The challenge for all of us to give cheerfully and not reluctantly. And by the way, and you probably would agree with this, I think generally speaking, generous people are the happiest people in the world. 
There's something about having a generous spirit that just brings joy and happiness. When we're reluctant, when we're doing it for the wrong reasons or under compulsion, there's, there's a burden, there's a weight. But when we understand what God has called us to do in our generosity, there can be that cheerful, happy spirit that we can have. Roman numeral three, the promise. I love this verse where we see God providing sufficiently in verse eight. And God, verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. One of the reasons or really excuses that we give a lot of times for not giving more is that we say, well, we just don't have much to give. We just don't have much to give. I believe God would say, not true. If you ever make that statement, I just don't have anything to give or I just don't have much to give, I hope you hear in your ear God saying, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. By God's grace, we have everything we need all the time for God to both bless us and use us for his glory through the act of giving. We have everything, and that's confirmed right here in just this one verse. And that's what Paul's trying to convey, just how huge God's generosity and grace really is. He, he resorts to this hyperbole using a form of the word all here five times. Did you notice it? That God is able to make all grace abound so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, since giving away our stuff seems to be somewhat counterintuitive in our world and our culture today. In fact, giving away things means we have less, generally speaking. That's what most people would think. But, but Paul's saying, no, by giving away, you're going to have an abundance. You're going to have a blessing. And it takes faith to believe that. It truly does. And so if you're there, you're like, well, I don't know if I could ever get to that point where I'm giving cheerfully, just giving away my stuff, my time, my energy, my efforts. I don't know if I could ever get there. It does take faith. And you must be a believer. We'll come back and talk about that in a moment. But you have to have faith and trust that what God is saying here in verse eight is truly true. That he is sufficient, that he will provide all things at all times so that you can do and accomplish every good work abound in every good work. And Paul goes on to talk about that abundant blessing that we will receive in verses nine and 10. We're not going to look at them today. I hope you go home and continue to read through nine, 10, 11. But he talks about the, the harvest. It's a harvest of righteousness. It's not a harvest of more stuff in my, in my house or more things that I can collect. No, it's a harvest of righteousness. That when I sow these seeds of my life, when I release my life, to begin giving generously, God is going to bless with this abundant harvest of righteousness. As I was thinking about this, uh, the, the, the thing that kept coming back, and it may be the most simplest way to look at this, is that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. You are blessed by God so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. And that when you receive God's blessings in your life, God is blessing you not so that you can just allow that blessing to just kind of come in and stay, but know that you would be a channel, a river. And so the blessing comes in and as quickly as it's coming in, it's flowing out. Kind of like my wife with the $100 bill, right? The blessings come from the Lord and I'm looking for an opportunity to bless other people. It's the opposite of kind of how the, the Dead Sea works where water flows and it just stays there. You don't want to be a Dead Sea believer. You want the blessings to flow. And I thought about this this old hymn that, that, that popped in my mind a few days ago. How many of you remember the song or the hymn, Make Me a Blessing? Does anybody remember that? Make Me a Blessing? The, the, the refrain of the chorus goes like this. Make me a blessing, make me a blessing. Out of my life, may Jesus shine. 
Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. What a great prayer, right? That we would pray every day, God, make me a blessing, that I would bless the people around me, that they would, they would not only see Christ living in me, but they would hear about the hope that I have in Christ. They would feel the physical opportunities I have to, to minister and bless them with resources that God has blessed me with, my time, my talents, my abilities. God, make me a blessing today. A little bit further on, if you want to look down in verse 11. Again, I think this idea that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing, Paul is saying in a, in a little bit different way in verse 11, he says, you will be enriched or blessed in every way to be generous in every way. That we are being enriched so that we can be generous to those around us. And here's the truth. Right now, in this very moment, we have all that we need to give generously and minister to others. You don't have to wait till you have more money in your bank account. You don't have to wait till you have more time. You don't have to wait till you get past this thing at work. Right now, you have everything you need to be generous and minister to the people around you. This is the point of grace that God has given all of us. You see, the challenge for us is not a lack of resources or our wealth but it's a lack of our belief and trust that God is sufficient, that he will provide. The truth is, we will always be rich enough to be generous. We will always be rich enough to be generous. The application here, my generosity should trust in God's sufficiency, that he will provide everything I need to serve, to minister, to give, to live generously in my life. So if you take all three of those points and put them into one sentence, this is what you get in the summary statement. I can live generously and give cheerfully. Why? Because I know that God has promised to provide sufficiently. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has provided sufficiently for you to live generously and give cheerfully? I hope so. I hope you believe that with all your heart. And here's, here's what I want to end. And I, I said, I read this verse at the very beginning. It's going back to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. But I really believe this is the key to giving generously. When Paul says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. This type of generosity that Paul is talking about here comes out of an overflow with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes out of an overflow of knowing Christ personally and knowing that Everything in our life that really matters ultimately has already been settled. And it gives us this freedom to start letting go of our stuff, stop letting go of our things and understand that we can, we can give generously, that this life is temporal. We're just passing through. As Pastor Russell talked about last week, living missionally, that we are ambassadors. This is not our home. We are not even citizens here. We are citizens of heaven. And so the more we get the bigger picture, the more we understand that this is not our stuff, the easier it's going to be for us to give generously. But it starts with giving our lives to Christ. When I say everything that truly matters is already settled, what we mean is that for those in Christ, we have already at some point in our life turned from our sin and put our faith and trust in Christ and his saving work on our behalf on the cross. And that's the only way that we can ever give generously the way Paul's describing is living in Christ and giving ourselves first to him. But if you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, that you've never made that kind of decision to, to turn from your sin and yourself and put your faith and trust in him, 
my prayer for you this morning is before you try harder to be generous, before you try harder to give more and to do more, before you try to do any of that, you'll say, wait a minute, there's really no hope in that. In fact, I know a lot of people that spend their entire life trying to do more and give more all for the sake of trying to please God. As we learned last week, there's no hope in that. There's no way. You can't do enough to please God. The only place we find our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ who came into this world, lived a sinless life, went to the cross as the substitutionary sacrifice to die in the place that we deserve to die for our sins. So that for those that do turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, they can have eternal life. They can have true hope. And then once you have that true hope, you realize, wait a minute, I'm just passing through. None of this stuff is really mine anyway. I'm ready to start living generously. So whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ, there's a challenge for you this morning. 